This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye, bye, bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It has just gone 5pm in the city at the close. The FTSE 100 firmer up four tenths of 1%. Some gains across most of the continent with the exclusion of maybe Spain. Some big gains on Italy up by 1.75% on the FTSE MIB there. The DAX positive by about two tenths of 1%. Elsewhere in the FX market, dollar weaker against Everything in G10, including sterling cable climbing by about a third of 1% to 138.87. Elsewhere in the bond market, the story in Treasuries looks a little something like this this Tuesday. Yields come in by about a basis point and change, coming down to 2.86% on a US 10-year, down to 2.23% on a US 2-year note. So that gives you a feel of this market cross-asset. Let's get you some top stories, shall we, and cross over to Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. And there's a lot going on, Jonathan Farrell. Let us begin with Washington. And people familiar with the matter say President Trump has told advisors that he believes economic advisor Gary Cohn will leave his White House job if President Trump decides to go forward with tariffs on imported steel and aluminum. The people say Cohn has been summoning executives from American companies that depend on the metals to meet this week with the president to try to blunt or halt the tariffs. President Trump, meanwhile, has signaled that he is open to talks with North Korea after Kim Jong-un's regime told South Korean envoys that he is willing to consider giving up his nuclear weapons. It is a potential breakthrough after months of bellicose threats from both leaders. And Land Rover has unveiled something rather unexpected for the famously off-road brand, and that is a coupe. The Range Rover SU or SV coupe was displayed today at the Geneva Auto Show. It is a two-door SUV that'll cost you about three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> It'll be limited to nine hundred ninety. Units. It is also the fastest Range Rover you can buy. Top speed, 165 mile an hour. Try heading that fast into London on the M1 listening to the cable. Let's be clear here. It's still a Range Rover. It's not like it's a sports car in the same guise of sight, like a Porsche 911. I, I happen to look it's, at the pictures. It's so a Range Rover with two doors. It, it, it is a gorgeous, spectacular Range Rover. <laughs> I looked at the pictures on the internet. I'm not a car guy. I, I think this it's beautiful said, too, but I just think it's a Range Rover with two doors and a big engine. Yeah, I, well, I don't think we should be calling it that too. Can I just switch gears from cars? Car. From cars to tariffs, I got to ask. Go on. Every jobs day, you have the pleasure of talking to... One Gary Cohn. Well, that's if he's going to be here this Friday. And that's my question for you. <laughs> Will you be talking to him Friday morning? I, I haven't heard from the White House. I hope I'm going to be speaking to Gary. But um, given the headlines at the moment, if the president goes through with his proposal of tariffs, it sounds like, at least in the president's opinion and perception of things, that that would mean that Gary Cohn would leave. Right, we don't know whether Gary Cohn would actually leave. Let's assume that he still has the job, that he won't be leaving Friday morning. How do you phrase the number one question that I know you want to ask? Well, you just ask him did you Which endorse is? did you endorse this policy unveiled by the president and see what he says and he'll probably try and dance around it so you ask the same question again and then you ask it again 
and at some point he's going to give you his view on what's happening with things. I, I honestly think that if they go through with it, then maybe he wouldn't be around to do the interview. Um, given the news that we're learning this morning, it feels like that's the direction of travel. But hey, who knows? I mean, we've had these issues over trade come up again and again and again, and Gary Cohn has always turned up on a Friday for payrolls. And it's funny because we always say payrolls report, you know, these reports just seem to get more and more important. We always say tune in for this Friday's payrolls report. Yeah. Not only do we have the payrolls report, but we've got the drama about his future in the yeah, White House do. too. Well, I feel like we've played this movie a couple of times now. As for the payrolls number, it's always the most important since the last and until the next, isn't it? That's, it, the, that's the way we do payrolls. That, that, that said, it is a great movie. I want to keep on watching. I'm with it's you. Part two, part that's, three, part four. Uh, you can count me out of the Brexit movie, but I'll watch the, <laughs> Cheers, I'll, I'll watch the markets movie anytime you like, even right. if it is on repeat. Charlie Pellet, great to catch up with you, you sir. Too, sir. So it's the main event in the United States for markets worldwide. The President of the United States has told AIDS he's convinced that economic advisor Gary Cohn will leave if those tariffs on steel and aluminium are imposed. This is all according to people familiar with the matter. Cohn trying to head off the tariffs and blunt the proposal. He's been summoning executives from industries that use the metals to meet with the president later this week. Do we have key man risk? Well, joining me now to discuss is Ken Vex, the director at Acumen Management and Romain Bostix, editor of our Bloomberg Top Live blog. Ken, joining us out of London, um, for a while we did have key man risk. There was uh, the reaction function of investors to the idea of Gary Cohn departing before the tax bill was executed would have been quite negative. What do you think the reaction function of investors is now? Hard to say. I mean, I think the key man risk is probably focused on the wrong key man. I mean, the real risk is the fact that Trump is still president. Um, The reality is that should uh, Cohn leave, it reinforces the fact that the inner sanctum of the White House has lost touch with the president, and that unveils a whole lot of volatility for the year to come. I mean, there's talk also that Wilbur Ross has also lost Trump's year. And as a consequence, I think we're likely to see, well, a lot more volatility. Let's put it that way, a lot more two-way volatility. But my feeling is, where the con stays or goes, I don't see the tariffs as they're currently proposed coming to fruition. I think they'll be walked back and not insignificantly. A lot of things to unpackage in that statement, as I'm sure um, you know, Ken. So let's begin with the final point, shall we? Um, The idea Mm. that the proposal that's currently on the table won't be the policy that ultimately is executed. What are you looking for? Look, I think, for better or for worse, this has been revealed to be Trump's negotiation tactic. We've seen it happen, at least certainly on the trade side of things. We've seen it happen with NAFTA. You know, he threatened to pull the pin on that entirely and then came back and said that Mexico and Canada had begged him back to the table. He pulled the pin decidedly on TPP and has since, in the recent weeks, Newton has made noises about the fact that uh, he's willing to go back and have a chat about that and doesn't want to be left out. Uh, we've seen it with even North Korea, which we'll probably talk about later, the fact yeah. that he was prepared to go full tilt in, uh, in warfare you know, terms. Uh, and yet there's, there's an element of walking everything back. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's sort of taking a different approach to, you know, carrying a big stick and speaking softly. I think he's, he's looking at it in slightly reverse terms. Remain, do we have a battle in the White House, and is it significant to anyone outside of Washington, D.C.? No, there's, there's been a battle since day one. I mean, when, when Trump came in, and Trump's always been the wild card individually, but he's had basically two separate factions in the White House, a group of people who I guess can 
probably be described as uh, protectionists uh, and nationalists, both in terms of economic issues as well as other issues. Yeah. And then on the other side, you had people like Gary Cohn and Dina Powell, who are much more in the free trade uh, globalist camp, I guess, if you will. And they've sort of been having this sort of tug of war for a while now. And sometimes Trump listens to one side and sometimes he listens to the other side. The fear now is that with uh, Dina Powell gone with the potential that Gary Cohn could be out the door. The question is, is the White House now becomes a little bit more weighted to that sort of economic nationalist and protectionist side. And the market now has to face that reality. So you think there is a real prospect that if Gary Cohn departed, you would have more of the policies of the Peter Navarro's of this world come to the fore? Yeah, it's all about who has Donald Trump's ear. And I think for the last year or so, it's been relatively balanced. Now, who he listens to is always a wild card, but there was some sort of balance in terms of uh, the opinions that he was getting. Uh, There is no heavyweight person, at least not no one of Gary Cohn's caliber, uh, I think that would really be left in terms of Trump's inner circle that would sort of be able to weight him more towards that free market principle. That national economic advisor job has become much, much bigger with Gary Cohn at the helm than it has under previous administrations. Um, Guys, you're going to stick with me. As you mentioned, Ken, we're going to talk about North Korea next, the prospect of denuclearization, what it means for the world of geopolitics, foreign policy, and ultimately what it means for financial markets, if anything at all. I myself was unaware there was still a geopolitical risk premium out there to fade, but apparently there is. Ken Vexler, director at Acumen Management, still with me and staying with me alongside Romain Bostick, our editor at Bloomberg Top Life blog. For the City of London, live on DAB Digital Radio, this is The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio, the President of the United States. We move from trade policy to foreign policy. He has signalled that he's open to talks with North Korea. This after King Jong-un said that he is willing to give up nuclear weapons if the safety of his regime is guaranteed. South Korea also says the North is ready to suspend weapon tests and hold talks with the United States. The leaders of North and South Korea will meet late next month along their shared border. The President of the United States, Donald Trump, calls it possible progress. For the markets, the initial reaction was to dump the dollar and dump the yen as well. Dollar-yen was the only dollar pair that shifted higher with dollar strength at the forefront. Elsewhere, dollar weakness across the board. So just why is there a market reaction to this when seemingly this didn't matter for so long? Ken, you and I were scratching our heads when that dollar (laughs) rolled off and and seemingly went into the abyss for about five minutes. And someone said to us, well, it's the career headlines, the career headlines. And I just thought, since when did we have any kind of geopolitical risk premium mm-hmm. in this market to fade? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm still left scratching my head, to be honest, because the price action ensuing from, assuming it was those headlines that prompted it, is completely nonsensical. So the only thing that I can essentially draw it out to is the fact that, uh, you know, it was a risk on, as it were, and the risk on means that, the prevailing trend that we've seen for the last few weeks and maybe even months is yeah. selling dollars, and, and that was carte, carte blanche, green light, go on and sell some more dollars. 
It doesn't make any sense. No, not at all. But I can't really point to the last day anything made any sense in this market. I'm so, kind of with you on that. Remain Boss Sticks, why is a weaker dollar the risk on story of the moment? You know, I'm not really sure. You know, I'm going to quote, uh, you know, one of my colleagues here, Andrew Cinco, who basically said, you know, world peace sinks the dollar. Uh, why, though? I'm know, just trying to get my head around that. I've been so confused by this, why the new risk on regime is equity markets march on, treasury yields grind higher, and the dollar weakens. I, I think there there must have been uh, some sort of trade caught up in this, and I, I think it's it's less of you know people sort of going into this uh, on a sell the dollar uh, movement, and it's more maybe an unwinding of a trade that uh, had factored in whatever potential risk there were uh, of whatever impending oh, wow. uh, military conflict. Uh, I haven't, I've yet to see a good answer. I, I've talked yeah. to some people this morning. I've yet to see a good answer. Uh, and all of the reporters we have on staff here have yet to come up with a good I, answer. I'm still waiting for someone to turn around and tell me how the United States or anyone for that matter can secure the safety of this regime in North Korea. And I mean, the history of denuclearization is not a favorable one for the nation that goes through it. Um, Ukraine, being one example, um, Russia certainly didn't respect the state of Ukraine after um, they denuclearized. Libya, another interesting example of a country that went through denuclearization, and then uh, Gaddafi is not around to tell us how that turned out. Remain, I do sit here and wonder how hollow this uh, these talks might be. Ultimately, this is progress, sure, and I, I I'm with that. This is progress to have North yeah. Korea come to the table, but to secure the denuclearization, you need to say to them that their regime is safe, and history is not on your side. It's not. I mean, symbolically, I mean, it's definitely something you can hang your hat on. Of course, at the same time, I'm not sure, you know, how much faith we can put in uh, whatever Kim Jong-un says. Uh, I think the one thing that is a little bit more positive is that South Korea actually appears to be driving this ship uh, much more so than the U.S. and the West. And that could potentially create um, maybe some sort of agreement that is at least favorable to that particular region, uh, which could create a little bit more political stability in that area. Ken Vexley, your thoughts on all of this? Uh, I don't know. I mean, if, if anything, we're trying to fit price into, in, or rather narrative into the price action. And I, I genuinely believe it's no more complex than risk on means, you know, a return to prevailing trends. And here we are. Yeah. In terms of securing... Uh, a sovereign nation's safety, or well, good luck. I mean, really, you know, there are protagonists all throughout history and all throughout modern day that could at any one day pipe up and have a go. So really, is it up to the U.S. to, to assure North Korea that they're going to be able to get that done? Not a chance. So for now, we just carry on and, and let the algos fight it out. It makes you wonder just how they come to any agreement. Ken Vexler from uh, the City of London with the Acumen Management Director over there, alongside Romain Bostix, our editor of our Bloomberg Top Life blog here in New York City. Staying with me next up on the program, we're going to talk about the buzz on Wall Street, whether the Trump trade is over. A conversation's next. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You were just listening to that terrible news, the suspected poisoning of a Russian dissident over the weekend in Western England. The UK now saying it's considering tougher sanctions and perhaps even a boycott of the World Cup if the Kremlin is found to have played a role in the incident. I think it's a terrible incident, but Remain, you'd have to say that's kind of an empty threat, a boycott of the World Cup. Can you imagine the uproar in the United Kingdom? 
if there was a boycott of the World Cup? <laughs> no, I can't imagine it. As a can, <laughs> uh, can you imagine if the UK said I, I, that, that Russia's yeah. got something to do with this and we're not sending the team there anymore? I can't imagine. I mean, there'd be relief on a few people's faces knowing that they wouldn't have to go through the pain of being knocked out. <laughs> but that's but true on the as other well. Side of it, I think there's been some clarity. I think Boris Johnson's actually clarified that it would be the governmental envoy that wouldn't go to the team. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for yeah, clarifying exactly. that. So that's not much of yeah. a threat at all. No, exactly. So, if anything, it's probably a blessing in disguise. So, anyone, Bo- so uh, Boris won't turn yeah. up to watch the World Cup. Basically, yeah. what was the time? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm pro- I'm sure Putin is just is just gutted. Yeah. Mortified. Yeah. Well, honestly, politics are just on another planet, aren't they? The self importance is just incredible. I, I understand that diplomacy is important, but this is ridiculous. Let's move on from yeah, this story. All agree. A, a tragic story, I, I must say, um, to what's happened to that individual in the west of the country. Um, the Trump trade front and centre for financial markets once again. Um, 2017's roaring bull market giving way to a choppier 2018. The buzz among many of the people I've been speaking to over the last few months is just whether the best of the traders passed. Don't try and tell that to uh, the true believers in Texas or Louisiana or South Dakota, because if you're in Trump country, you believe this rally has just begun. A fantastic story on the Bloomberg that details just how bullish Trump country is over the equity market. Remain Bostics. It's incredible. Uh, A fantastic story and and an alarming story as well. Uh, You know, I'm not sure you want to invest with your heart, but... Um, you know, it does say a lot about the psychology of uh, not only Trump supporters, but really just um, uh, the way a lot of businesses and particularly small businesses view this administration and the potential benefits uh, to the economy. Um, you know, I would argue, though, that I think the Trump trade for all intents and purposes ended uh, back in December on December 22nd when he signed the tax cuts into law. Uh, you know, that really was the driver uh, for the markets for much of 2017. The markets were out ahead of that uh, for most of the year. And now that we got it, they're here. Now that we've seen them, we know that the benefits of it, uh, at least from what we can see, are going to be relatively short term. So that raises the question as to, you know, what is this administration going to give us next? We were expecting a big infrastructure plan, big infrastructure proposal. Yeah. Instead, we got Squadoosh. Now we're looking at um, you know the potential that we end up in some sort of trade skirmish or even a full-out trade war. We've got the policy uncertainty surrounding Gary Cohn. We've got the fiscal uncertainty surrounding deficits. So, you know, the question is is you know what are we going to get out of Washington uh, that is going to potentially drive this market uh, further? What is the Trump trade anyway? I mean, we just we just labeled the rally the Trump trade. To me, the Trump trade was the the gains that you would see in the old economy companies, the old economy stocks. And what we did see were the likes of Facebook, Alphabet, Google and Netflix rip through 2017. That, to me, wasn't the Trump trade, Remain. Have we really seen the essence of what people thought would be the Trump trade? I mean, a big part of the trade was, you know, the, the idea of less regulation and just kind of a looser business environment. There was always this perception uh, that the previous administration uh, put the clamps on a little bit too tight on uh, certain industries and businesses and that Trump was coming in and he was loosening those up. That's where you saw a lot of the enthusiasm on Wall Street. That's where you're seeing a lot of the, enth- the enthusiasm in middle America and on Main Street and among these small businesses. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, um, the things that he's done uh, to loosen those clamps have already been done. So the question is, is what can he do next? Ken Vexler, to you, I imagine for many people in FX, and I won't label 
knew this as well. But many people in the foreign exchange market, when the president was elected, they thought the Trump trade meant stronger dollar. Um, we've just found out over the last year that apparently the Trump trade means weaker dollar. Um, is that still in your mind, or is there still an argument that that is a policy, and is that still the direction of travel? I think, look, I mean, everything that Romain covered off in that last the last bit is, is essentially what I would have understood the Trump trade to be, uh, plus the fact that all of those measures, should they have been enacted, would have been inflationary. Inflationary means a tighter Fed, stronger dollar and the like. We haven't seen any of that really come to fruition. We've seen the market front run, as it always does, what it perceives to be the trade. And now exactly what's next? The prevailing narrative, and, and obviously price action, is a softer dollar, one that's been endorsed and encouraged by the White House. And one would wonder whether that's, uh, you know, the first salvo in what could potentially be this trade war, trade skirmish, trade something or other. Um, there is little at this point in time to abate that genuine dollar weakness. But I will say this, that certainly our view here is that rather than the continuation of of a weaker dollar as a trend. I think on net, by the time we end this year, we will probably point to the fact that there was no discernible overall trend for the dollar, I think. The issue is that the Fed has been all but priced in for this year and next. So, you know, up up in the air is whether they're going to go three times, four times this year, and then three or four next, so all in seven times over the course of the next 24 months. That's been pretty much priced in. So you need some sort of additional shocks or unwinds to get that picture, you know, looking a little a little different. So if anything, I think we're going to see some consolidation of the, the recent significant weakness of the dollar. And then we sort of travel along sideways with a bit of bumpiness here and there based on probably stock market volatility, if nothing else. Ken Vexler, Director at Acumen Management, joining us with Romain Bostics today, uh, editor of our Bloomberg Top Live blog in New York. Ken joining us out of London. Ken, always appreciate your time and your blunt insight. Romain Bostics, a little bit more subtle here in New York. Thank you very much, gents. A clash of the approaches and communication style there as well. Ken, we love you. We're looking forward to getting you back soon. And Talk- the feelings mutual, John. <laughs> <laughs> talking about that week, a dollar Ken was talking about, it continues to weaken today, down against everything in the G10. Sterling stronger, cable up by about two tenths of one percent for a second straight day. In the bond market, Treasury yields look a little something like this. The 10-year yield up down by a basis point rather to 286. And equities, well, at the close in London, some gains for you on the FTSE of about four tenths of one percent. You listen to the cable, this is Bloomberg Radio. This is the cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. We've got new music on the cable for, um, for Vince Signorella. Do you do like that, that Ken, um, Vince? I do. do you know, yeah? I do. I do. We've done that for you. We've got some new music for you. I thought you'd appreciate that. Charlie, do you like that? First thousand times I liked it, but uh, no, I'm getting tired of it. Our producer KO's been, oh, no, been working it's, on it's, some new tunes. Yeah, you know, are, you, are you saying they're no good? No, I mean, it goes, uh, listen, no disrespect to the band. I've heard that song over and over and okay. over and over. I'm done with it. Do I'm I, done with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Do like that about you. Yeah, well, when you know, who can bl- on and off the train. And who can and listen? Uh, well, that's another <laughs> I was just, story. I was just thinking that. We've got to get new lines <laughs> on the subway. <laughs> like, it's so old. Charlie, I mean. Charlie. <laughs> I love Earth, Wind and Fire. Let me tell you. <laughs> You're in a business where people have to listen to the same thing over 
and over again. It's like growing up in London. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. I'm used to it. You've heard that brilliant story, a beautiful story, of the voice at one of the stops in London and the gentleman passed away. Yes. And, yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic story. And his wife... So if you're not familiar with this story, and I forget what the train stop is, but the gentleman was the voice of the London Underground, and his wife used to go to the same station every day so she could listen to him because he passed away. Um, And when the voices changed, what she wanted was to keep that one voice at that one certain stop. And as far as I know, Charlie, it's still at that stop is his voice, correct? I, I don't know, but here's the thing. I'm off to London in about 10 days. So you can check I, for I'm going to look it up on the internet, you can and I'm going to make it a I mean, point it, it to truly, go to that stop. Truly, is a beautiful story, and I'll try and Google that for you um, a little bit later. Charlie, can you get us some top stories, yeah, and maybe right. I'll have a quick Google and see if I can find it. Here's what's going on. People familiar with the matter say President Trump has told advisors that he believes economic advisor Gary Cohn will leave his White House job if President Trump decides to go forward with tariffs on imported steel and aluminium. The people say Cohn has been summoning executives from U.S. companies that depend on the metals to meet this week with the president to try to blunt or halt their tariffs. Very interesting to see what Gary Cohn will have to say when we talk to him Friday morning on Bloomberg Television and Radio. President Trump has signaled he is open to talks with North Korea after North Korea's leader told South Korean envoys that he is willing to consider giving up his nuclear weapons, a potential breakthrough after months of bellicose threats from both leaders. Land Rover's unveiled something rather unexpected for the famously off-road brand, and that is a coupe, the Range Rover SV Coupe, displayed today at the Geneva Geneva Auto Show. Price tag, almost $300,000. It's also the fastest Range Rover you can buy. Top speed, 165 miles an hour. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrell, what have we got? Charlie, thank you. So um, the latest reporting I can find was five years ago. The station is embankment. And the wife of the individual used to go down to embankment. Then they completely phased it out. Of course, she was devastated. So the TfL gave her a copy. And then, after the request, Transport for London decided to restore the voiceover warning to embankment station. Now, I don't know if it's still at embankment, but maybe you can check that out, Charlie. But it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful story. And any time I'm in London, how can one avoid the embankment stop? You just sort of run I used it, to go yeah, through embankment too. Yeah, yeah, on, yeah, on, the yeah way, just... on the way home from the Bloomberg office. Charlie, always great to catch up with you. Always. You know, I love working with you. Thank you. I appreciate that, mate. I love working with you. You too, mate. I Have a good one. Cheers. You. I'll see you tomorrow. He's not lying. I promise you. He does. He means it. He means it. We're going we're gonna to talk about the weather um, and whether Joe Weissenthal, our executive editor, can get on his vacation hmm. out of JFK. What's the latest, Joe? Uh, I do not know what I'm going to do. I am trying to get out on vacation tomorrow morning. I hear so many mixed signals about the weather. Some people's like, oh, it's just going to be rain. Some people say it's not really going to be a problem getting out early. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm stressing out, though. How if I'm it? a little out of it for the next half hour, that's my excuse. Okay. What, so what, I'm, I'm setting what that kind up of, What kind of premium would you put on a flight to get out of the country right now? You know, I'd probably pay $1,000. $1,000. Yeah, what do you think that would go up to tomorrow? Oh, I don't know. If you couldn't get out tomorrow morning. Like, the question is, like, if I'm in the airport and it's a choice between losing my vacation all... Yeah. I don't know. More it, than that. It goes like, up. Like 3000 it, it goes up a lot. Because I don't take much vacation. Well, this is and the I problem. And I need one badly because I'm tired. Yeah, I feel you. Vince? I, no, I agree. I think you should uh, I think you should pay up and get out tonight. There right, you go. Well, we'll see what I can do. Well, it's mission get Joe And you would to have airport. to be really early tomorrow morning to avoid this. 
And that's assuming the equipment gets to New York because oh, right. what happens is, as you know, a lot of times if the equipment is somewhere else at a, at a different hub, they yep. will keep it there and cancel the flights. The plane, so the, the plane, plane won't, won't, be, the a plane won't be a JFK. The plane just won't be there for anyone who wants to follow how this goes. I'm depressed. The stalwart on Twitter will be updating you throughout <laughs> I'll, the I'll, night I promise morning. to tweet about it also. <laughs> that is the uh, consolation. Follow me at the stalwart on Twitter and at least... I'll say random things from the airport. I, I look forward to it and just, just to find out how much it costs to, for Joe to get on vacation. <laughs> um, gents, what do you make of the uh, the war in the White House? Remain Bostic, I thought, put it really well, Joe. We've been at a war in the White House for like yeah. 18 months now. I'm not sure anything's, uh, anything's changed. Yeah, I don't really get the impression that much, much changed it either. Like, how many of these big stories have we read... Neither the New York Times or the Washington Post is like Trump is really in a dark place and there's chaos and stuff like that. And it's like, ugh, like, is there anything really new? We investors have been dealing with this for a long time, and by dealing, I mean not caring. Yeah, I'm trying to get my head around the following though: whether we still have key man risk in the shape of Gary Cohn. If these proposals go through, and if the reporting that we have got um, today is along the lines of the president's thinking that he thinks that um, Gary Cohn will leave. Well, if he thinks Gary Cohn's going to leave and he puts the proposals through anyway, puts you in a difficult position if you're Gary Cohn, Vince. Well, I, I don't think he cares. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, and I don't think the markets do anymore Okay, either. so that's what I want to get really. to. Does, does I, the, if, what's the reaction function of investors to that headline if it crossed? Gary I, Cohn I, I, There may be a minor little blip, but, but I think it, this is a conversation that was going on for a few days. If It first started when he brought up the tariffs that perhaps Cohn had been sticking around because he didn't get the Fed share job, but he was sticking around for this tariff thing, which strikes me as a little odd because that would have been a long time ago. But and and that if if the tariffs went through, he would resign. I, I doubt yeah. very much the president is weighing those two equally and saying, "Hmm, Gary Cohn gone if I do tariffs." I, I do hmm. think there's been this very called a sort of cynical view of of Gary Cohn, um, Joe, and and some kind of self interest idea yeah. of of why he's there. I think the fact that he's tried to gather CEOs of metal consuming businesses this week to try and convince the president of the best course of action in his mind tells you actually quite loudly that the individual does really care about serving the country, Joe, and shaping economic policy well, to certain- the best of his ability, at least in his own mind. He has a view. And he is definitely, you know, they people used to talk about the sort of more globalist wing of the White House versus the more nationalist. There was never any doubt that he was identified with the former. He definitely has a view, and he's into tax cuts, and he's into deregulation, and he's into trade. And I guess as long as he's there, and look, if he left sometime soon, would that really be that weird? I mean, he's been there for a while. He got the tax cuts done. He didn't get the Fed chair. There's not some obvious other thing for him to do, as far as I can tell, right? Yeah, and also in this position of national economic advisor, it's as far as I know, it's quite rare for someone to stay through the whole of the president's term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, typically you get multiple, right. multiple individuals. So in that it's seat. like maybe you know, it's like all right, well, he doesn't believe in tariffs, so he's going to give it one more shot. Yeah. He's going to bring in these companies to tell Trump that they'll get hurt by the tariffs. And then who knows what after that. But I guess as long as he's there, you know, I respect that. As long as you're there, you should put in the work. I wonder if John Cran will give him a call and say, please, please, <laughs> please, Bail us out. to take this one. We'll swap seats. 
We'll swap seats. I'll go to DC and you come to Frankfurt. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't have brought that up. Next up on a program, whatever Vince wants to talk about, honestly, (laughs) it's literally that. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. Really interesting piece in the Financial Times today, written by Mohammed Al-Aryan, of course, Bloomberg View columnist and chief economic advisor to Allianz. He sort of looks at the main things that are going on in markets at the moment, the big headwinds that we need to work our way through. And one of the things he picks out, I'm going to read you the following quote. What remains to be seen, however, is what happens if the policy transition becomes simultaneous. That is, several systemically important central banks moving away from unconventional monetary measures at the same time. Vince, that's a big test, and it's something we haven't experienced for a long, long time. And what he's leaning towards is the idea that, yes, the Federal Reserve is on the move, but if the ECB joins in as well, markets really are going to struggle, potentially, to adjust to the idea of two central banks, maybe three central banks, three major central banks, pulling back at the same time. I think there's going to be a lag. And, and there's going to be some space between the two to give the markets an opportunity to adjust. Um, the Eventually, though, I, I think he's on the right track because when they all do lean in that direction, you're going to have this mass of uh, paper with nowhere to go, essentially, in the fixed income market. So you're going to see this ratcheting back of rates, and rates are going to have to rise to a point. And we saw this in treasuries, which was somewhere around 3%. They have to rise to a point where investors find the yield attractive enough before they step back in. Uh, negative rates in Europe, not going to be the answer to that question. So some of those economies are going to have major adjustment on their hands. Joe, the adjustment that could take place, I wonder if it's more financial-based than economic-based. I mean, if you look at some what's happening in financial markets in Europe, incredibly distorted, fixed-income markets, um, never mind the sovereigns, the credit market is a beast we haven't seen for a long, long time where corporates can borrow essentially for nothing, um, and in many cases less than the uh, the government itself can borrow for. The degree to which people are pricing in very little downside risk uh, in a lot of European markets is pretty extraordinary. Uh, the fact that Italian assets are now trading stronger than they were Friday. Isn't that amazing? Is, I mean... Spreads are tighter in Italy now than they were Friday. See, the, yeah, the stock market in Italy is now above where it was Friday. I mean, we got a result that I think everyone agreed was, oh, if there's, you know, there's various range, this would be the very worst one. Yeah, right? so I'm trying to understand what's changed. What, what in the reaction function of investors to political news out of Europe has changed? And people can't turn around and say it's just the ECB because I'm talking about a change not in the last five years. I'm talking about a change in the last 12 months, literally the last 12 months. If I told you 12 months ago this would be the election result in Italy, what would markets do? Oh, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be this. It's really weird. I don't don't have a good answer to that. I think that, look, if you don't think that there's any chance of Italy being a credit risk, okay, if you don't think that, you know, Thanks to ECB backstops and stuff, you're not really worried about Italy exit or anything like that. Yeah. Then you're just like, okay, well, what's the worst case scenario from the perspective of the international investor? More muddle through, which is not great, except that we've had a pretty nice rally in assets everywhere with muddle through. So maybe this just prolongs it. I don't know. That That's my only 
plausible theory. I, I guess in many ways it's quite rational. Suddenly, suddenly we're sensible, Vince. Suddenly what? we wake up and we say, well, nothing can happen in Italy because nothing can get done in Italy. So it doesn't matter who's <laughs> in power, nothing will get done. Well, it, well, Since when have markets been rational? No, the, and I think what happens is the markets are almost, they, they fall into this complacency and then it takes them a minute or two to say, wait a second, uh, the deficits in Italy are going to continue to rise no matter who's running the government. That's going to get worse. The ratings agencies are more likely than not to re-rate Italy, which is going to mean a hair cut on their debt for what the ECB can measure as a threshold to hold Italian sovereign debt. So the cost of that debt is going to go up besides the volume of the debt. Yeah. And the markets will catch up to that at some point. It's kind of like you know, the way no one priced in NAFTA for the Canadian dollar, and it sat very strong. And then all of a sudden people woke up and went, oh, wait a minute, funds at 130. And Dollar <laughs> Canada went straight you know, up. I love the peso did nothing over the last week. And it you know what? Barely it will. Moved. It will. It will. It okay. will catch up. I can't believe you're both away Friday. You're both leaving me for payrolls. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're you're both together. away. Yes. That's That's a, why are payrolls should have been last Friday? I feel anyway. like Joe's know, practically retired break. if he's not here for payrolls. <laughs> like it's just like Joe's just not with us anymore. This is The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the beautiful city of London, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable, the story in the equity market. A firmer close on the FTSE 100, up by four-tenths of one percent. The DAX up by two-tenths. And the FTSE MIB, Italy, doesn't have a government. Who needs one in Europe? The FTSE MIB is up by 1.75%. Honestly, Vince, seriously, who needs a government in Europe at the moment? Germany didn't have one since September. They've only just got one put together. Honestly, if you think about the history of Italian governments, not having one is probably a good thing. Well, you can, you know, you could you could extend that to other countries in Europe as <laughs> this well. This is true. This is true. Honest, but, but the Italians pretty much are a benchmark in that category. Yeah, I, I just it's this situation in Europe that just strikes me as really odd, Joe. Can you imagine any other place? Just any other place? Like, you know, just get outside of Europe just for a moment and pretend we had an election in the United States of America and woke up and had no government for like six. Well, there's the fun thing about the parliamentary system is you get all of these dramatic things that sound more dramatic than they are. And so, like, you always say, oh, the government of Belgium has collapsed. And in (laughs) in, in, in the U.S., if you would say the government of the U.S. has collapsed, that would be a very big deal. But in a parliamentary system, it's like, oh, okay. Big deal. It's like okay, that they're gonna, <laughs> and then they're gonna have a caretaker government, and the president or whatever will install. It's like yeah. fine, but it's just, but the language that we use, like oh, there's no government, or the government has collapsed. It kind of doesn't translate. It, it doesn't at all, does it? You try and tell Americans that there's no government in Italy right now, and there hasn't been a government in Germany for the last six yeah. months. They'd go, what, really? They're there. They're just resting, pining for the fjords. Yeah, <laughs> maybe everyone needs. They the don't parli- get to have anarchy. The, the parliamentary system. Okay, so gains. Belgium the did go for like two years without. They, they really didn't they? did. They <laughs> were in Spain for a little while as well, and everything it just got ev- Just to be honest, everything got better. Let's be honest. Yeah. Everything got better in Europe at the back end of last maybe year. Maybe we should try that in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should just try to drain the politics out of every situation. I'm sure. Well, we'd all here's like a question that. about Italy. When was the last Berlusconi? I think was the last, the last elected prime the minister. last elected prime minister yeah. because then there was uh, Mario Monti yeah and then they had that election in 2013. And I've forgotten the guy's name now, but it completely escapes the, me. But he didn't win. No, he didn't win. He was uh, put in power. Yeah, and then he he Renzi, got put in, Renzi also Renzi, didn't win. 
Renzi didn't win, but then he was put in power. Yeah, Gentiloni didn't he, win, but he was put in power. Yeah, so it's like Berlusconi, the and Enrico but, Letta was his name. Letta. Enrico but the Letta. funny thing is, like, I brought this up to people. I was like, oh, it's very funny that Italy never is. And they're like, oh, you don't get it. It's like, no, I do get it. I just think it's weird. I get how it works. What, it what, it still just seems kind of odd What to I me. always thought was interesting as well is that the EU were actually selecting the prime minister for a little while. There was Mario Monti's going to go do this. Yeah. <laughs> so, what? <laughs> okay. And you wonder why well, the Five Star Movement and the well, Eurosceptic like, Parties have done so that's like well. one of those conspiracy theories that is like that's kind of true right it, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah he was a, he was a eu puppet mario monti right. was he he was put in he wasn't elected yeah. i mean the same with matteo renzi he was the mayor of florence right. and he became the prime minister of italy i mean loads of these people so losing elections in italy is it, a really it just good raises the question how the eu responds if say the five-star movement or, or the northern league for that matter managed to form a government how they actually take this. And what I would also say is just absolutely amazing. The Northern League, the Northern League, who are now just the League, used to used to campaign on the idea of essentially dividing Italy between the North and the right. South. That's what the party was actually put together for. It's in the name. It's for more regional autonomy in the North. And they managed to get votes from the South this time around. That's how remarkable this election will be. They managed to get votes from the South. Now, clearly, the South is as interested in this idea, though. So, so, yeah, I don't know if the South is interested. We can get rid of the North? Okay. Oh, that says a lot about establishment you know, it's, politics. It reminds me a little bit of the evolution of the Republican Party in the U.S., which was for a long time like sort of like rich Northeasterners. Yeah. And then the Southern strategy of these sort of uh, poorer, downscale, white, more nationalist, and they formed an alliance. And I think there might be, a, a, but a sort of like a common conservative strand between the two of them. It may be. I and think I think there point. are some similarities there. This kind of centre-right, anti-immigrant, yeah. Eurosceptic yeah. kind of theme. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No wonder, no wonder they rebranded the party. Um, guys, I'm really going to miss you Friday. I've got to admit, it's going to be really weird. I'm going to have to actually plan a show for a start <laughs> this Friday after payrolls. Um, you guys, what are you looking for? And it's, it's easy to forget that just a month ago, we had the payrolls number that really blew up this market for the yeah. best part of five minutes, John. You know what? I actually missed last month, too. Did this you? Is, yeah. I, I, I swear you were with us. No. I was, I was traveling then, too. And that was, of course, the day before. That was the Friday before the markets really. Yeah. So you uh, skipped two payrolls Fridays. I'm basically retired. You've checked <laughs> like <I'm> out. <laughs> <laughs> You've really checked out. Yeah, it's weird. I don't feel it because I feel like I'm working a lot and I feel really tired. But like, there was a prior incarnation of my life that could, would never have missed one no payroll way. ever, no let alone way. two. I remember. I'm that actually beast. pretty humiliated. Yeah. If I went back, I would be very sh ashamed for myself. Uh, Vince, I, I can just see him doing weather at the airport from now on on, yeah. on payrolls Friday. Uh, we should give him a call and see if he got out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> Still a JFK. Call, I could call in. You should call in. That would be great. From the beach, I hope. Yeah. I hope. Vince? Yeah, I think, well, payrolls, I, you know, everyone's going to look at average hourly earnings again. They're predicted to just drop just a little bit, and that's going to be the number that either makes or breaks uh, the data for Friday. Because I think we're finally in a place where the reality of the situation is you need a huge hit or miss in the actual payroll number to get anyone's attention because everyone's looking at the average over the last few years. It's done very well.
It's, it's, it's that simple. It really is. Okay. Do we have to worry about anything else in the market? Are we primed for an inflation surprise in the way we weren't a month ago? I, I don't think we have an inflation surprise left in us, to be to be honest. I mean, we're, we're, we're well below expectations. I mean, if we see an inflation surprise, um, and this is next week, we'll see CPI yeah. data. Um, we're, we're looking at the core to stay pretty much the same. Headline should jump a little bit, but the core is expected to stay in line. Okay. Signorella, Joe Weissenthal. Joe, have you found a flight? No, my wife is currently. Is she, she's in charge. She's in charge. So I told her, I said, spend the money if that's what Spend it takes. the money, whatever yeah. it takes. We just won't drink while we were away. Yeah. Basically. And Joe doesn't drink much either. So that's, that's, true. that's just the message for the wife. Yeah. <laughs> You're not drinking. <laughs> no, um, and no food. We're, we're going to the grocery store. We're walking into town and going to the grocery store. You know how guilty I feel when I have to go to the grocery store on a holiday and walk back into the hotel with bags? I feel terrible. I almost hide them underneath the jacket. <laughs> is, is, there a, is there a Costco in the Turks and Caicos? <laughs> I doubt, uh, I doubt it. I doubt it. Joe Weiss and Salah Vince Signorelli. You're listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio.